Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Hope you guys have uh, had a good holiday time, Christmas time with family and friends, and I'm just glad you're back here and ready to kick off a new year. We're jumping into a brand new series today, and so I'm glad you're here. Hopefully, this will jumpstart your 2020. And by the way, congratulations. Uh, you have perfect attendance so far this year, and uh, so give yourself a hand for that, for being here. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, hey, as you know, I, I was thinking about this series and, and just trying to get started in a new year. And I was reading about in uh, 1999, 2009, November 13th, 2009, not 1990, that's a long time ago. Uh, but 2009, a record, world record was set for a domino fall. So one single domino got ticked over and over four, almost four and a half million dominoes went down with this world record domino fall. And, and what's interesting about it, the different things that was interesting about it, but uh, one of the things was that they talked about the amount of energy that's created in this domino fall. That by the time all of them had fallen, it had created uh, what they said was 94,000 joules of energy, which is enough energy for an average sized man to do like 545 push-ups. okay? So just these little dominoes falling created all kinds of energy, which, you know, you think about it, you got one little domino, it's about two inches tall, and, and it in itself has a little bit of energy that, you know, when it gets moving and knocking all these over, it just continued to create energy after energy after energy. The other thing they talked about is that a single domino can knock over another domino that's 50% larger. So, so if you start doing the math on that, you, you, you kind of start spreading out. One domino that's two inches tall, I wrote down these things. They say one domino that's two inches tall um, knocks over 50% larger. The eighth domino then is three feet tall. By the time you get to the 10th domino, it's as tall as Peyton Manning, NFL quarterback Peyton Manning, former. By the time you get to the 18th domino, it's as tall as the Leaning Tower of Pisa. By the time you get to the 23rd domino, it's as tall as the Eiffel Tower. The 31st domino is 3,000 feet above Mount Everest. And by the time you get to the 57th domino, it's a domino that's big enough to, you know, span the distance from the earth to the moon, starting with a two-inch domino. Now, it'd be cool if you could actually do that experiment, but um, you think about what, what it basically tells us is that just getting something started sometimes begins to create a lot of energy and, and, and maybe even helps you tackle things that seem way out there that are so big, I don't think I could ever, ever accomplish that. So as we think about this new year, let me ask you this question. What dreams or hopes do you have for 2020? Do you have any? Anything significant that you want to accomplish? You have any dreams or hopes? Maybe you want to start a new business. Thought about it. You've been planning for it. Maybe this is the year. Or maybe it's a, a career change you've been thinking about. It's a dream. It's kind of out there. Maybe it's a, uh, maybe you were at one time pursuing a degree and you were pursuing a particular profession and you kind of got sidetracked with life. And maybe now it's about possibly pursuing that thing that you are passionate about at one time. 
Or maybe your dream this year is just that you and your boo would get married and live happily ever after. Maybe that's your dream, all right? It's not a bad dream. But what is your dream in 2020? Do you have any? Anything significant you want to try to accomplish this year? Here's what I've noticed in, in, in my life. I've noticed in people's lives as well. Is that oftentimes we allow different things to kind of keep us from pursuing dreams and big goals and doing something significant. Sometimes it's the tyranny of the urgent, you know, I mean, who has time to dream when you got life going on, right? And all these things are screaming for your attention. Who has time to really dream something big and pursue that? Sometimes it's that uh, paralysis by analysis. You know, you start asking all the questions. Oh, yes, great, big, huge dream. Who's going to do that? When is that going to happen? Who's going to pay for it? I mean, all these questions start happening and it's like, you're just paralyzed. You can't ever get off, you know, can't ever get started because, man, it's just too many questions out there. It's too much to analyze. Or, or maybe it's just fear. Maybe it's fear that, you know, you're not, you don't have what it takes or maybe it's a dumb idea or a dumb dream or whatever. But all of these things keep us kind of sidetracked and we wind up settling for less, don't we? I mean, what, the dream that we had at one point, the significant thing we wanted to be a part of and do, we just settle for something less than that because of all these other things. But maybe this year is different. Maybe this is the year that, that you began really pursuing and actually trying to accomplish something significant, a big dream. Maybe that you feel like God has placed on your heart and you actually go and, and start pursuing it. Here, here's what, here's what I, I've noticed with people, especially um, successful people that accomplish big things. It's really not so much about, I see this big goal out there and I just jump and get it, as much as it is about creating a domino effect in their life, where they start looking down the road and how can I get there and they just start here with one step and it creates this domino effect and as the dominoes begin to fall, momentum is created and there's a lot of energy and a lot of power that goes behind that. So see, the domino effect question for you then, it's not like, what's this big, huge goal that I can jump out there and grab? No, it's, it's more like, here's the question for you to consider. What is the one thing I can do today that moves me closer to my dream? What's the one thing I can do right now? What that does for you, it helps you kind of focus your life a little bit around purpose. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm aimed at that dream, that goal, and and so that's the purpose, that's where I'm headed, but what's the one thing I can do now that helps me get there? So today, tomorrow, the next day, it's not so much about trying to jump out and grab that thing way down the road, it's, it's what can I do today that just gets me one step closer? Because the, the more I knock down each domino, the more momentum gets created. And that big, huge thing down there that I can't ever imagine ever accomplishing and I don't know how I'd ever get there and got too much stuff going on in life and it's just impossible. Pretty soon, we see ourselves getting closer and closer and we look behind us and we see a lot of dominoes that have fallen and we feel that energy. What do you dream about? What do you want to do this year? What's one thing you can do today? that would get you one step closer to that dream. You know, as I look at the, the, the Bible, it becomes pretty clear, especially in the New Testament, 
that God has a dream for how the church should be known in the world. Um, and I don't mean like the church, like just the bridge. I'm talking about the church, like, like Christ followers all around the world. How the church should be known. God has a dream about that. The ideal, you know, thought about, here's how I want the church to be perceived. Here's what I want them to be about. Here's what I want them to do and how the, the, the world would know them. And you begin getting clues about this in the scripture. In one of the places, it's called the book of Acts. And it's, it's early in the New Testament. And Acts is really the Acts of the, of the Apostles or the Acts of the New Testament church, the first church as it got started. And so uh, all the different things that took place, they, they chronicled all those things and wrote about them. And in Acts chapter 2, we see a little bit of an idea, of this is just a description of that first church and, and how it was going. And, and by the way, it got created in some horrible circumstances. Um, this, the religion, this, this, this relationship with Jesus, it wasn't even called Christianity back then. It was called the way. And, and, and basically, it was an outlaw kind of religion. And people were being persecuted. They were being arrested. They were being killed for having faith in Jesus and following Jesus. So the circumstances weren't ideal for this thing to get started and begin to grow like it did. But in Acts chapter 2, we get a little bit of a description of how this church was. Here's what it says in verses 44 through 47. It says, all the believers, these are all the people that profess faith in Christ. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. When you read about this, this, this church as it got started, it was such an incredible kind of thing. And man, there was so much momentum behind it. It just, it was unstoppable. And literally thousands and thousands of people were coming to be a part of this, this, this way, this, to be Christ followers. When all the outside world was trying to persecute and keep and stop them and, 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 and put them to death, thousands of thousands of people were coming, flocking, why? What, what's the deal with this? When you read about it, man, this, God's idea of a church wasn't some building that people go to, but it was a movement of people. It was a living and breathing organism that, man, people came together and they talked about the things that God was doing in their life. They worshiped together. They shared everything that they had. If they knew somebody had a need, they'd go sell something they had just to take care of that person's need. They did everything they could to be there for each other. And people were just flocking to it. Man, this is different. This is new. This is not, you know, it's all about me. It's, it's people were just giving their lives away to each other. And it was so fresh and so real. People wanted to be a part of it. And it says the Lord was adding to their number daily. Every day, new people were coming. Every day, new people were signing up. Count me in. I want to follow Jesus every single day. And you begin to get an understanding of what God really desired. His dream was for this new church that we 2,000 years later would still be considered a part of. 
And so I want to point out three things that I think kind of helps go along with the dream that God has for what the church is going to be like and how the church should be known in this world. The first thing about God's dream for a church is that it's a place where everyone is welcome. It's a place where everybody is welcome. No matter what your background is, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've experienced, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter what baggage you have, what issues you have, everybody is welcome. And you really begin to get a sense of this when you read the scripture and you see the people that were coming and they had all kinds of stories, they had all kinds of issues, they had all kinds of questions. They were skeptical. In fact, Jesus got in trouble many times during his earthly ministry because he was hanging out with the wrong people. He was hanging out with the people that knew they had problems, knew they had issues. At the very end of the, the scripture, the last book of the Bible is the book of Revelation. Sometimes it's called the scary book because it's scary stuff in there, it seems like. But in Revelation chapter 22, which is the very last chapter of the last book of the Bible, Jesus is talking. And Jesus says this in verse 17. He says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life. He's basically saying, here's the invitation. Are you thirsty? Come on. You hungry? Come on. You want a different life? Come on. Anybody who wants to, the invitation is simply to come. When Jesus, during his earthly ministry, he looked at people and he said, listen, if you've got, if you've got burdens, if you've got heavy weights and burdens on your life, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'm telling you, just come. And that was the invitation that Jesus offered and it continued to be the invitation of the New Testament church. In fact, Jesus walked along and he, at the beginning of his ministry, he invited people to come and be followers, to follow him. And then as he began inviting people to follow him, they would then go out and invite other people to follow him. And in, in the gospel of John chapter one, we see an example of this where Jesus was inviting people to follow and then they went out and invited someone else. And look, look what it says in in uh, John chapter 1, verses 43 to 46, says the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Uh, Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. So what he's saying is, you know, hey, Nathaniel, as kids, we've been learning about this. That, that, that Moses and the prophets of the Old Testament, they talked about this Messiah that was going to come, that he was going to save his people. And we have found him. This is the very guy. I mean, we learned about his kids. Our parents learned about his kids. Their parents learned about his kids. We've been learning about this guy forever. And we know where he is. We found him. He's here. He keeps going. He says, his name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now, that was the wrong thing to say to Nathaniel. Because in Nathaniel's mind, Nazareth was the wrong part of town. Messiahs don't come from Nazareth, okay? Jerusalem, maybe, you know, some other nicer place, but not Nazareth. That's, that's just a bad part of town. You don't, Messiah's not coming from there. And so that's what he says. He says, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? And so he's just putting question back on Philip. Philip's just trying to invite him to come and check this guy out. And Daniel's like, no, no, you're going to answer some questions. 
tell me about this, tell me about this, tell me about this. And Philip just looks at him and says, dude, just come and see for yourself. Just come and see for yourself. I, I don't know how to answer all your questions, Nathaniel. I'm not a biblical scholar. I, I, I've heard the same stories you've heard, but I haven't studied them in depth. I can't tell you why he's from Nazareth. I don't know. I'm just telling you to come and see. You come check him out for yourself. You know, sometimes I think we make the invitation so complicated when really the invitation just simply needs to be, hey, just come check it out. Just come check it out. See, some of you have friends that you've wanted to invite to the bridge. And every time you think about inviting them, you start getting nervous. And you're thinking, what if they ask this? What if they say this? And you've already get, you've got a, a, a Excel spreadsheet of all the different answers that you need to give, right? And you get nervous. You break out into a sweat. And you walk up and you're thinking, they're not going to be interested when I'm, you know, I'm pitting here and all this because I'm so nervous about talking to them. And really, the invitation shouldn't be that hard. It's just, hey, come check it out. You probably got questions. I still have questions. Just come check it out. If you don't like it, you don't ever have to come back. It's a simple, simple invitation. And it always has been. Just come see for yourself. And when they come and see, they should feel welcome. Regardless of who they are. Regardless of where they've been or what they've done in their life. We, we, we talk a lot around here at the bridge about life change and about stories of life change. We, we made a decision many, many years ago as a staff that, that we didn't want success to be measured by how many people come and how much money people give and all those kinds of things that tend to tell people you're being successful. That, that, that really don't tell the whole story. Now, we have to count just because we need to know how many chairs to put out here, okay? And, and we have bills to pay, so we have to count the money too. But that doesn't, that's not the measure of success for us. We decided, again, years ago that the measure of success would be life change. And the way we would evaluate that is through stories. And so every time we meet together as a staff, we start off every staff meeting. We've been doing this for 10, 15 years. Every staff meeting the same way. What stories have you heard this week that makes you know life change is still happening here at the bridge? And sometimes the stories will be five minutes, sometimes it'll be an hour. We don't put a time limit on it because that's the most important part of our staff meeting. Tell me about the stories that are going on, the lives that are being changed. We gauge success by life change. And that's what the invitation is all about. We want people to feel welcome so that they can come and experience a real Jesus that loves them, that gave his life for them. But you can't experience that if you don't get invited. You can't experience that if you don't feel welcome when you come. And I love the stories. Even this past year of people came into this place with all kinds of problems, to their own acknowledgement, all kinds of issues and baggage. And each day, Jesus has been changing their life. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Colossians. He said, live wisely among those who are not believers. 
and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. See, our hope and prayer is that you will invite your friends specifically who don't go to church anywhere. Now, if you invite someone that goes to church, well, that's fine. We don't check church IDs at the door. It's fine if you want to invite them. But we really want to invite people who just feel far from God. Maybe they feel like God has given up on them or maybe at some point they gave up on God. And we just want to invite you to come and just see, see who he really is. Evaluate if you think he has something for your life. No pressure. Just come and check it out. And so the Apostle Paul says, you need to live wisely with people who may feel far from God so that you can take advantage of the opportunity to share with them what Jesus, who Jesus really is, what he's done, all that he's done for them, how much he loves them. Let your conversation always be seasoned with grace because we don't have it all together. The only requirement we have, there's only one kind of person that we don't allow to come here and that's perfect people, all right? If you have any kind of imperfection, you're good to go, you're good. Because we all have those. Specifically, the guy standing here talking. If I started telling you all my issues, you'd get uncomfortable, okay? We all have baggage and issues and problems and things that we wish we'd never done and regrets and all those kinds of things. But we've encountered a Jesus full of grace and mercy and love that has a better way to live. And we want everyone to feel welcome when they come here. So when you think about what's the one thing you can do to today to help you accomplish your dream this year? When you think about God's dream for a church, what's the one thing you can do in this particular area to help accomplish the dream or the goal that God has for the church? Well, you can invite your friends and you can make them feel welcome when they come. And I would encourage you, I would encourage you starting today, when you leave here, would you go home and just write down the names of three people that you can invite this year? Easter is 14 weeks from today. Easter is always an easy invitation. People that don't even believe in God will go to church on Easter. They just need an invitation. So if you invite them, they're likely to come on Easter. Would you write down the names of three people that you can just begin praying, God, give me the opportunity to invite them. Invite them to the bridge. And for all the rest of us, when, when they invite their friends and their friends come, we, we have to make them feel welcome. That, man, they're loved here. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they've done. They're loved here. Because God's dream of a church, everybody's welcome. But that's not the only thing. God's dream for a church, not only that everybody's welcome, but it's also that everyone is serving. Everyone is serving. See, see, for those of us who are Christ followers, God's mindset is that when we become Christ followers, we move from this place of being spiritual consumers to now spiritual contributors, all right? 
We go from this place where it's all about me. What do you got for me? What kind of deal you got? What, you got? How can, what am I going to get out of this? You know, that's totally fine at some point. But, but once you become a Christ follower, you kind of move from that to going, it's not about me anymore. Now it's about how can I give back? How can I contribute? Where can I get plugged in? Where can I help others? And so if you're a Christ follower, how do you move from that category of being a spiritual consumer to now being a spiritual contributor to where you give back. The Apostle Paul talks about this. He talks about how God has created each of us and how he's given us gifts and abilities. And here's what he says in in the book of Corinthians in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. He's saying that as Christ followers, each of us have been given different gifts. And the way they work best is when we perform those gifts together. So if we all had the same gift, then a lot of us would be useless. (laughs) But because we all have different gifts, when we come together, it becomes this powerful thing, full of momentum that seems like this unstoppable force because we work in harmony with each other. And it's God who decides that. So if like you've got giftings and abilities that you don't like, then you gotta take that up with God. He's the one that decided that. But when you act in accordance with those, like when you serve in that niche, it becomes a sweet spot for you. And it's just natural and you love it and you have an impact on the people's lives around you. He keeps going, he gives us an analogy of what this has looked like, and he, and he uses the analogy of a body. Here's what he says in the same chapter, a little bit further down, he says, if the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? So like we were all just, like if your body was just one big eyeball, you could see great, but you couldn't hear anything, all right? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell? Well, you could hear anything coming, but you can't smell a thing. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body, how strange a body would, it, would be if it only had one part? Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. So he says, for those of us who are Christ followers, he's given different gifts and different abilities. He says, some some of you are hands. Some of you are feet. Some of you are arms. Some of you are heads. We're all butts, periodically. But, but... But the way we work best is in conjunction with each other. So if you have the giftings of a hand and all you are is a hand, you're, you know, what, what good can you do if you're not connected to an arm that's connected to a body? If we all had the same giftings, if we all wanted to be speakers on the stage, well, who's going to? Sit out there. Who's going who's gonna to welcome people? Who's going to 
um, help people in different areas, you know, their, their children's areas and things like that. We're all too busy trying to get up here on stage. God is the one who's given those gifts and those abilities. And if one part is not working, it doesn't just affect that part. It affects the whole body. Two years ago, I had an accident. I fractured my pelvis, both sides. I was in a wheelchair for six weeks. Couldn't put any weight on my legs. First time I'd ever been in a wheelchair for any period of time. And if you've never done that, you don't want to. Okay, let me just learn from me, okay? That's not something that you need to do to figure out that you don't want to do this. I, I never knew how much I needed my legs and how much I loved my legs and wanted my legs back as to when I couldn't have them. And it wasn't just that my legs were suffering. My whole body was suffering because my legs didn't work. And guess what? That affected other bodies in my home. And they were suffering because I needed them to wait on me hand and foot. You see, the truth is, as a body of believers, as the church, if we're not all plugged in using the gifts that God has given us, it's not just you that's missing out. And in fact, you are missing out because God's created you in such a way that you get the most fulfillment by giving back and using your life to make a difference in the lives of other people. So you are missing out. But it's not just you, it's impacting others as well. And, and if the whole body is not functioning right, guess what? The whole community around us is not functioning right either. Because God's designed the church to impact the world around it. And if we're not functioning properly as a body, then there's no way we can have the impact that God intends for us to have in our community. So, so it's not just you. It's impacting a lot of other people. See, that's a domino effect in the other direction, right? And we feel like it's just me. No, no, no. It, it, it starts a domino trend that's impacting negatively. But at the same time, when we do plug in, oh my goodness, the momentum that gets going. And, and then it becomes, it's not just, you know, oh yeah, all I do is just kind of greet people and open the door for everybody and say hi and smile. Oh, all I do is make coffee. That's, that's all I do. All I do is hand out cheese balls, change diapers. That's, that's just kind of my role. That's all I do. All I do is just put crafts together and, you know, tell kids some stories, you know. All I do is try to get middle schoolers to talk, uh, middle schoolers to stop talking. All I do is try to get high schoolers to start talking. Uh, you know, all we do is open up our home and have adult mixers, you know. I mean, all I do is dance. All I do is sing. All I do is run a camera. All I do, all I do, all I do, all I do. But when we all come together and we do the thing that God has gifted us to do, it becomes something greater. And there's so much mo momentum that gets, us, that gets started and there's a domino effect that begins to go into play. And the church accomplishes more than any of us thought possible just by plugging in and serving. You can impact so many lives. So the one thing you could do in this area to see God's dream come to fruition is to get plugged in somewhere and serve. You say, well, I really don't know, you know, where that would be. Well, great. We got an awesome opportunity next Sunday. It's called our next step, and it's, we also call it volunteer. 
And what that means is that you can go on a tour and get a behind the scenes tour of all the ministries we have going on on a weekend around here. And you can see all the different areas and all the different ways you can plug in in those areas. And what it does for you, instead of just hearing about something or reading about something, you get to see it in action. And then you can like, oh, that's what I want to do. I mean, I feel that. that. That's where I could be used. And sometimes it's seeing it that helps you do that. And that's next Sunday. You just need to get signed up, RSVP for it. You can do it at the handout you got when you came in. You can do it online, bridge.me, but you just get signed up. And go on the volunteer next week and get plugged in. Because God's dream for a church is that everyone is welcome and everyone is serving. But then the third part of that is that everyone has changed. Everyone has changed. Again, the emphasis is on life change. Seeing lives come into contact with a living Jesus and your life has changed as a result of that. Apostle Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, here's what, he taught, here's what he says about that. He says, he, Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. That anyone who says yes to Jesus, to yes, I need you as my Savior. I can't do this on my own. I can't make it on my own. I need you as my Savior. Anyone who says yes to Jesus, that moment, the Spirit of God comes to live within you. And your life immediately begins to change. And then over time, you continue to grow and change as God works in your heart and life. But it's a, church should be a place where people, people's lives are constantly being changed because Jesus is alive. His love and his grace and his mercy are real. And as we get to know him better, our life should reflect that through how we change. And so the question would be is, is your life continuing to change? If you're a Christ follower, has your life changed not just the time that you gave your life to Christ, but continue to change as you grow in that relationship? You say, well, no, I haven't really experienced a whole lot of change. I, don't, I can't get a lot of momentum, a lot of traction going in the whole change thing. Well, it could be like the little boy who kept falling out of his bed and his mom came in and said, why do you keep falling out of your bed? And he finally said, I think it's because I'm staying too close to where I got in. And I think that happens with us spiritually a lot. That we stay so close to where we got in that we never get deeper into it. We never know more about who he is and what he has for us. And maybe that means you, get, you become part of a small group, which we'll be signing up for small groups here in the next month. That'll kick off in, in, in uh, February. But maybe it's part of a small group where you open up God's word and you begin to learn more about who Jesus is and how he can impact your life and the kind of life he has for you. But are you growing in that relationship? See, Jesus' invitation was, come. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. Just come. I want you to come no matter who you are, but I don't want you to stay that way. See, like at the, at the bridge, we, we always talk about no perfect people allowed. 
You don't have to be perfect to come here. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row, everything lined up. You don't have to get, you know, have this perfect look. We say, just come. No perfect people. In fact, we, we, we also say it this way. The bridge is a place where it's okay to not be okay. If you're not okay, great. Bunch of us that way. But there's another part to that. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Especially if you know Christ as your Savior. Because as we, as we learn to grow in Him and love Him more and that relationship grows, our life begins to change to reflect that. So it's a place where lives are continuing to be changed. What I believe, and I believe this based on what I see in God's Word, is that as a bridge, if we would be a place where everyone is welcome, everyone is serving, and everyone is changed, then we will become a bridge of hope in this world. And hope is what this world desperately needs. See, Jesus came into this world as the light that shines in the darkness. But then he looks at us as Christ followers and said, now you are the light for this world. You now, as you live for me, are the hope for this world. And hope is a magnet. People are desperate for hope and they're drawn to it like crazy. And as we live out this dream that God has for a church, it will be a magnet that attracts people that feel far from God, that's looking for some kind of answer, that's looking for the hope that really is only found in Jesus Christ. We become a bridge of hope to our community and to our world. Next week, I want to talk to you specifically about what we believe God has laid on our hearts for this year and for launching a third campus. If you're new to the bridge, we have two campuses. This is our Sugarland campus. We have a campus that meets in the Regal Theater on the Grand Parkway. And it's about, we've had that campus for about six years. And we believe God has laid on our heart to start a third campus this year in Fulcher, um, just west of town. And I want to share with you next week specifically why we believe that, what God has been doing, the way God has orchestrated things and lined up things for us to be there, and how you can play a part in that. Uh, but you got to be here next week. Um, and so I encourage you to do that. But this week... I encourage you to ask, what step can I take to help me fulfill whatever dream I have that God's laid on my heart for me personally? And what step can I take to fulfill the dream that God has for his church? And let's become a bridge of hope. Let me pray for us, okay? As you're just sitting there with your eyes closed, I, as best you can, I'd like for you just to kind of draw a circle around yourself and just kind of as best you can, just block out the distractions for just a minute because I just want to ask you a few questions. What are your dreams for 2020? 
Do you have any? Is there anything that God has laid on your heart? While you're sitting there, would you just pray and ask God to just help you prioritize each day in such a way that helps you reach your dreams, reach your goals? Just God, help me each day to prioritize in a way that I can at least knock down one domino. And hopefully that begins to build momentum. When you think about God's dream for church, who is it that you can invite to the bridge this year? He said, I really don't know. It's not that I'm against it, I just don't know. Well, would you just simply pray and ask God for him to lay on your heart? People that you already know, that you're already friends with, that would benefit from coming with you to the bridge. God, would you show me? And God, would you give me the opportunity to invite them? Where are you serving? Where are you plugged in? Would you just be willing to simply say, God, would you show me where you want me to serve? I don't want to be a spiritual consumer. I want to be a spiritual contributor. Would you just show me where you want me to get plugged in and how you can best use me to make a difference in this world? And then how is your relationship with Jesus? Maybe you sit here and say, I don't even have one. You know, starting a relationship with Jesus is really pretty simple. It's just acknowledging that you need him. And you acknowledge you need him because you've messed up. You've made mistakes. We all have. The Bible calls it sin. We all have it. And so you need a savior. I need a savior. It starts with acknowledging. I need Jesus as a savior, as my savior. And so from your heart, you would just simply be saying, Jesus, I need you to be my savior. Help me to live for you. Come into my life. Give me the life that you desire for me to have. See, that simple act of faith where you're resting completely on Jesus as your savior is the catalyst for God to begin moving. And that simple act of faith is what prompts God's Spirit, His Holy Spirit, to come live within you. And that happens immediately. Not a lot of hoops you got to jump through or anything like that. It happens immediately. And I would encourage you to open up your heart, just simply ask Him to come in. But if you've been a Christ follower for a while, are you growing? Would you just simply say, God, would you help me to grow in my relationship with you this year? Just help me to be everything that you've created me to be. Father, I thank you so much for all that you've done to help us, to, to, to help our lives personally, to make a difference in this world, to give us the best possible life we could ever live. 
God, your grace and your mercy and your compassion and your love is just so overwhelming at times that you would even do all of that for someone like me who is so undeserving. God, I just pray that you would just help us, each of us individually, to assess where we are in our relationship with you and in our relationship to your church. God, I pray that you would, as Christ followers specifically, you would help us to want to plug in and to help fulfill the dream that you have for what a church should really be about. God, that this would always be a place that's so welcoming that people would even, they would show up here and they would leave thinking, I don't even agree with anything they talked about. Man, it felt so good being there. I'll go back. God, I pray that we would be that welcoming because that truly is a reflection of who Jesus is and how he lived his life on this earth. God, I pray that we would be a place where people are eager to serve and to give their lives away for something greater than themselves. And that because of that, lives would be changed every single week around here. God, I pray for the dreams that people have in their heart. I pray that you would give wisdom to each person as they think about those dreams and, and, and trying to pursue those things, that you would show them what step they can take today that would help them realize their dream down the road. You're an awesome God. And we love you so much. And we thank you for loving us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.